Hi, and welcome to On The Mend, a podcast where we explore how people get on the mend and stay on the mend during difficult times. Really, this podcast is just a very intimate conversation I'm having with another person about the mud they've waded through in life and how they've come out the other side. A lot of times it's about love and relationships, sometimes it's about work, sometimes it's about family, sometimes it's about growing up. There are a million ways to break and mend, and we're going to talk about all of them in this podcast. I'm El Huerta, CEO and founder of Mend, which is like a best friend in your pocket during heartbreak. You can join menders in over 170 countries around the world who have completed nearly 2 million training activities by downloading Mend in the App Store. I also co-host another podcast called Love is Like a Plant with my friend Sarah May, which you can check out on SoundCloud or iTunes. That one is all about love and relationships, so if you like this podcast, you'll like that one too. Today, I'm talking with Maria Del Russo, writer, soon-to-be author, and New Yorker. Maria and I met a year and a half ago when she was the sex and relationships editor at Refinery29, but a lot has changed in her life since then, and we'll talk about all of that today. We're going to talk career heartbreak, romantic heartbreak, her solo trip to Paris, dating, self-care, and what she's learned in this last year, which has been a year of transformation for Maria. You can follow her on Instagram at Maria Del Russo. This episode of On The Mend is sponsored by Unbound. According to research, there are three ways we can release endorphins, exercise, laughter, and sex. In fact, during climax, your body is flooded with both oxytocin and endorphins. These chemical reactions are your body's natural form of pain relief. The result? A relaxed state of euphoria and better sleep. And as much as we don't like to talk about masturbation, everyone is doing it. In fact, a recent study showed 9 out of 10 women make time to masturbate frequently. Reclaiming your sexuality post-breakup is scientifically proven to be one of the best things you can do for yourself. And our friends over at Unbound are here to help. Use the code ONTHEMEND for 20% off any vibrator, lubricant, or accessory at unboundbabes.com. So... Maria, Hi. thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It is pretty wild that we're here. <laughs> a year later, we were supposed to meet almost exactly a year ago. Yeah, almost in two days it will be exactly a year. Yeah. yeah. And I was in town from L.A. I was in New York, and we were going to record an episode of this podcast. Yes. And that morning... What happened? So I actually lost my job that morning. Um, it was a very wild morning. Um, I I feel like I relived that day in my head like a hundred times, but basically um, the company that I was a part of was having layoffs. And um, I, you know, came in and there was an email that was circulated and I kind of knew early on in the day that I was getting laid off. And then after, I um, I was so nervous that I didn't, like, eat anything. I was freaking out. Um, I was running on fumes. And then after I had my meeting with HR, I immediately started drinking. Like, I think it was, like, 1.30 in the afternoon. And my friend, um, who had also been an editor of mine, who also got laid off that day, just turned to me and she was like, do you want to go get a glass of wine? And I was like, yeah. Um, we were allowed to stay in the office because we were cleaning stuff up and, like, packing up. But we went... And drank, and since I hadn't eaten anything, I immediately got like, you know, drunk basically. <laughs> and I called you, and I was like, "L, like I know that we're supposed to do this <laughs> podcast, but like I just lost my job, and I've been drinking, and like I don't think that like I could like I might be able to do it." And you I were know. like, "I was do like, do no. not." <laughs> you were like, yeah. "Do not come in," <laughs> and I wound up like. Spending the rest of the day saying tearful goodbyes, and I ended it like a bunch of my coworkers and I, some who had been laid off and some other, who hadn't, um, we went out for burgers and beers, and then like I just collapsed and collapsed, uh, and then I just collapsed into like a drunk mess at the end of the night, and it was not my finest moment, but um, it was the beginning of a wild year, which is why right. it's kind of insane that you and I, I are know. sitting down now. Yeah, and. 
So fast forwarding a year, so yeah. here we are, yeah. and I've been following you since, and I've seen sort of all of the adventures that you've been on, yeah. and all of the pieces that you've written, and you have a book deal, yeah. and you went to Paris alone, which we're going Paris. to talk about, Ugh. but it's really been a year of transformation for you, yes, and it, it all started with that very painful, that very painful moment, um, which I'm sure was shocking and emotional and you know there's so many emotions that you go through um when you're I mean it's essentially like being heartbroken yeah it's just a different type of heartbreak because it's not romantic heartbreak but um I want to talk a little bit about how you put yourself back together and I know that you recently posted on Instagram about just how um how many changes you've gone through in this past year and how you have been able to turn a really painful moment in your life into one of incredible growth and and transformation. So can you walk us through um, like what you did? Like how did you get on the mend after that? So obviously you started with burgers and beer, (laughs) but then what came next? So I really had no idea what I was going to do. I have always been employed. I started working when I was like 16. I, my first job was actually at Limited 2. Oh my God. I was, I know, my favorite store. The best. I was started working there when <laughs> I was 16. And like since then, I've had a job. I always tell people that I got hired to my first job out of college. Like I got the job three months before I actually graduated. So I, and it was the first and only job I applied to. So it was, I kind of have always had a job. I never went through like unemployment and having to find a job. So when I woke up the Friday after I'd gotten laid off, I had zero idea what I was going to do. And the beauty about the industry that I work in is that um, everyone is so, it's like a little family. Everyone's so close knit and everyone looks out for one another. So my former boss, um, a woman named Megan, who I adore, um, who had actually gotten laid off the year prior Mm. was like, I'm getting lunch with some people, people who just got laid off, other people, like, just come. She was freelancing. Come, let's talk. Mm. And so I dragged my hungover self out of bed (laughs) and I um, met her for lunch and she kind of walked me through it and I just really had to learn to rely on my contacts, you know. um, I am someone who at work kind of relies on the golden rule and I live by that golden rule, which is like treat people the way that you want to be treated. So I feel like I really cultivated good karma for myself and I really just kind of cashed all that in and asked for help. But I have to say the first three months were devastatingly difficult. Like I cried daily. God bless my parents. I, like, would call them on the regular and be like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, yeah. this is the end. I have no idea. Do I, like, because I didn't even know if I wanted to go back to full time. Right. But I also didn't really know how freelance worked. Right. Um, yeah, it's scary. It's I so mean, scary. It's unpredictable. And, yeah. And, again, I've had that safety net for years. Yeah. Because I'd been employed. So, it was like this whole brave new world and it was really just kind of about learning to take it a day at a time to um you know i i had to learn to feel those feelings when i was feeling sad i would give myself the time to feel it but then like i would immediately be like okay you get five minutes to be sad and to cry and you have to move on from it um so i would like schedule sadness throughout the day in a weird way that's a really important tool actually yeah it's a a really good strategy because if i didn't then it would have just like eaten me alive it would have been overwhelming Um, i also started to be really candid about like what was going on with my mental health and with all that type of stuff because I feel like you know the media industry is going through such a change right now where so many people are getting laid off Mm -hmm. but when I was laid off I didn't see a lot of people talking about like the plight of the freelancer very candidly and it's difficult you know and a lot of young women are finding themselves in this position so in order to find strength for myself I was very candid about it yeah because I couldn't put on the facade on Instagram yeah you know 
uh, thanks to the column I was writing at my former company, I had a pretty large following and I was kind of, I made a decision very early on where I was like, I'm not going to bullshit any of you and this is hard and if I try to like put on a happy face and be great, like I will crumble and die inside. Yeah. Um, But it was difficult. I went through like bouts of depression. Like I said, I cried all the time, but I just said to myself I was like this is sink or swim like you know like this is what you love to do now you have to like put your money where your mouth is because it's easy to say that like oh I love writing and I love this type of work when you have a stable job and when you're not you know when it like comes easily to you and all this stuff but like to have to wake up every day and put your nose to the grindstone and be like I love this and I'm going to like eke everything I can out of it and make a life out of this was it was a real test and you know it it was difficult but yeah I think one of the like the really beautiful things about how you approached this type of heartbreak was that you were so honest and transparent about it and I think oftentimes when you are able to do that and you bring your whole self to a situation The universe, whatever you want to call it, rewards you. And I mean, I've experienced that so many times in my life where, like, really, if you are willing to take the leap and be honest, um, a net appears. And and I think that that's sort of what you saw, right, play out over the year. Like, And so I want to talk about um, sort of what's happened in the past year, but I want to go back a little bit to the beginning of this year. Because you've spoken about your support network being really uh, important to you, um, which is fantastic. And that's like a more traditional way to mend, right? Like hopefully you have at least one person you can talk to. Um, You were also experimenting with some non-traditional things, right? Like I think that's what's cool is you were approaching it sort of like an experiment. (laughs) Like I'm going to try all these different things to help me feel better Mm -hmm. and share what happened and then I remember one was um, maybe around February was a love ritual that you were doing Uh can you share a little bit about how that came about and yeah yeah. Um, so I was I was sent this book um, and I'm going to blank on the name of it right now which is terrible Um, but it was from this woman whose name I'm also going to butcher Heather asked Asquinoz, I think her name is Asquinoz. She um, runs a, a site called Crystal Muse, the Crystal Muse. And she's... I, I found Energy her, Muse. Energy Muse, that's it. Exactly. Thank you um, for having a laptop and being able to be my net. Um, I, I was sent this book and I was slipping through it and um, I came across this... Um, love ritual and I've always been super into like woo woo um like crystals and I sage every like solstice and equinox and like I'm someone who's kind of like whether or not it actually works like it has me participating in rituals and in like habits that kind of like make me feel like I'm doing something positive and that's actually proven by research yeah that even if you don't believe in the ritual People who don't believe in rituals still benefit from doing rituals. Totally. So you're you're on the right track. So I'm like, if I have like all these crystals around me, and if I'm saging the crap out of every apartment that I walk into, and if like I'm doing all this stuff, I was also I became very friendly with um, an astrologer named Colin um, named Colin who is a Colin Bendel whose Instagram handle is Queer Cosmos, and he um, is a sweetheart, and he was like, you need to kind of, like, get into meditation and get into, like, a ritual yeah. to get outside your head. So this love ritual fell into my lap, and it seemed like a very, um, it seemed like a like outgrowth of that. Um, like, Colin had put it into my lap, like, hearkened it from the universe and <laughs> placed it in my lap. So it was a really interesting um, experiment. There was, like, five days of lead up you had to do it before a new moon and there was like baths that you had to take and like you had to like do this like baptism where you thought about all the bad relationships that you'd ever been in and then like you had to dunk your head into water and like it was just (laughs) wild and I remember being like sitting in my apartment bathtub in like this mixture of like coffee grinds and apple cider (laughs) vinegar and I was like what am I doing but at the same time happy valentine's day (laughs) but the next 
bath was like rose petals and jasmine oils, and I was like, this is this is great. And but the ritual itself, um, I think it was twenty days, if I'm or forty days, twenty or forty days. Um, you had to wake up every morning and you had to light a candle and you had to hold um, a rose quartz and one other crystal in your hand and you had to like do this love chant. Um, and it, again, put me into this ritual where I was focusing on love first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And when I spoke to Heather, um, we were DMing on Instagram. She was like, what a lot of people find is that even if romantic love doesn't come into their life, self-love is something that comes into their life. And that is really what I found. I, it was mm-hmm. kind of like the first thing that I did for myself after this horrific layoff that I was focusing on me for a day or for like a couple of minutes every day. Um, and that was really profound for me at the time because I was so worried about survival that like I wasn't figuring out like how to actually nourish my soul at that yeah. point, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that is why I was like breaking down crying in hotel lobbies and like, yeah. you know, screaming into the phone and, you know, like writing, oversharing on Instagram because I was so emotional and I wasn't doing enough to kind of focus on that. So this ritual, like I obviously didn't find Prince Charming after this ritual, but it really gave me, you know, it opened my eyes to the fact that the only way I was going to get through this difficult time was to take the time to focus on me. And so that I really think is what kind of was the shift after all of this. And I started focusing more on myself and making myself happy and realizing that that had to kind of be the theme of this year, that if I was gonna get to the end of this year and like be successful and not move back into my parents' house and like lose this life that I'd built for myself over the past 10 years in New York, I had to really focus on myself. I had to be the theme and you know, I'm so appreciative of that silly little love ritual with the coffee grinds. I mean, it it sounds like it helped you come back to yourself. And what I really loved about that is that I think so many people, when you say the word love, you think romantic love. Mm -hmm. Um, But you were single during that time. And it's so important. I mean, all the time, but especially when you're going through any type of heartbreak to remind yourself that you have access to love like you have access to love yourself there's the love between family members between your friends between coworkers, and Mm -hmm. it sounds like you had a really tight-knit group of people that you had worked with um and also just like love with with strangers i mean especially in a city like new york like you're constantly coming up against people um and so i think if you can remember that And if it's something that you come back to and you turn it into a ritual, I do think it can be really powerful. Yeah, and it was a good reminder because I remember one of the first things I said to my mother, like in the days after my um, layoff, because that was the other thing. I got laid off 10 days before Christmas, so I had like four days in New York, and then I just went home early because I was like, I cannot be in this city. It's like after you go through a breakup, you're like, get me the hell out of here. I can't. So I went home, and one of the things I was saying to her, I was like, I have... Like, I don't have a net. Like, most of the people I know who got laid off, like, had a partner or were living with a roommate. Like, I was in this studio apartment that was costing me so much money by myself. Like, I didn't have a partner. So I was like, you need to figure out a way to, like, build that support system because you don't have it built in at that point. And at that point, I was blind to the fact that, like, I had my family and friends. And I really shunned them the first couple of months because I was like, I need just to, like, focus on survival. But once I was able to, like, bring the love back into my life, it made it so much easier to ask them for help. Yeah. And I needed it, you know? I just couldn't see it in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, you're sort of, you're shell-shocked in the beginning. Yeah. Um, Did you have any other... It sounds like that was really a breakthrough moment for you. Did you have any other breakthrough moments that happened, like, throughout that summer? Well, we talked about... Well, you mentioned Paris. Um, I had... Yes. Yeah, so let's I, talk about Paris. Let's talk about Paris. <laughs> so the Paris trip was actually something that I had planned when I had a job. Um, the company that I work for um, offers this great incentive that after you've been there for four years, you get a month paid sabbatical. So, um, before I knew that I was getting laid off, obviously I 
put in my request for the sabbatical. It was approved, and I was going to spend a month in Paris. And on the weekends, I was going to, like, go to Amsterdam and, you know, go to London and go to, like, wherever. Um, after the layoff, I... Um, had to shorten the trip because I could just simply couldn't afford to go for a month. Yeah. Um, luckily, I had bought trip insurance, which is a tip that I tell oh. everyone now. It was the first time I ever did it, and I was like, thank God I actually bought this. And it was the first time you'd bought it? It was the first time I'd ever bought trip insurance. Wow. Something in my gut. I remember being on the Meant phone to being be. like, should I actually buy it? My father was like, just buy it. It's $5. You don't know what could happen. And then lo and behold, two months later, I get laid off. So I was able to shorten the trip, and I was there for two weeks and instead and it was I wrote about this for the Washington Post actually I land in Paris and I was so excited to go um and I land there and it was cold and rainy and I get to my apartment and like it wasn't as cute in real life (laughs) as it was on Airbnb and it smelled a little weird and like I get up there and I immediately start crying and I'm like what am I doing here I'm like I don't really know anyone. I knew one person in Paris, and she was out of town until, like, the middle of my first week. I was like, I don't know anyone. I don't really speak the language. I don't like being by myself. (laughs) Like, why did I do this? And so for the first three days, it was really just about, like, okay, you're by yourself, and, like, you need to figure out, like, you're no one's watching you. My, um... Dear friend Rocco, who is actually my former English professor, texted me while I was in the air. And when I landed, the text message came through and he was like, I just need you to remember that, like, this is not a reality TV show. No one is following you around with a camera. There's nothing that you actually have to do. And you don't have to be having the best time at every moment. He's like, go and, like, do what you want to do. Like, Like, just do it. Like, don't think about, like oh, with this Instagram while he was like, just do what you have to do. Right. And I did. And I was just kind of like, I think the first post from Paris was like, I'm here and I'm freaking out. (laughs) I remember that post. I was like, I don't like being alone. (laughs) What am I doing? Um, But I think traveling alone, um, traveling alone is such a special experience. And it's... um, I really recommend it to everyone, and I think it's hard to do once you go through a big transition. Totally. Like, it's really common for people to take a trip after a breakup. I mean, there's, like, you know, so many movies about it, like, Under the Tuscan Sun and oh, everything. Yeah. But, um, but there is something really special about it. Like, you truly are just there. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You don't have to consider someone else's opinions totally. or what they like to do. Um, it's, and it's not always fun, and it's it's not always easy. Yeah. And I think it can be very emotional because it's you're sitting with yourself for oftentimes the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. And you don't have anyone to talk to, mm-hmm. and you are just with yourself. Yeah. And that's the difficult part, but also the really beautiful part. Exactly. Because it becomes you, – you just get really clear, and you can actually, like, hear what you have to say. Totally. It was wild because after the first three days, my friend um, – um, Danielle came back and she introduced me to some friends and I actually really started hitting it off with them but around the time that like I started hitting it off with those friends I was like oh I'm actually like enjoying the process of like being by myself and um so there were a couple of times where the girls would like invite me to like an apero or for like dinner and I would say no because I was just like I kind of just want to do this thing on my own um the best thing I did for myself though was I brought a notebook Mm-hmm. I like bought a brand new notebook before I moved before I flew out there and I carried it with me like every time I left the apartment I made sure that I had my notebook and throughout the day if I were like you know having a glass of wine at a cafe I would just sit down and scribble and I brought it to Versailles and I was like sitting on the grass outside of the Petit Trianon and like just like writing everything that I was feeling and I think that that really kind of helped me to um like organize my feelings into a place where they were like digestible and I was able to kind of say yeah like this is difficult but it's something that you probably really needed to do because you are a mess when it comes to spending time by yourself like I enjoy like a Netflix night by myself and like doing all this stuff but there's something about being in a foreign country not really knowing the language 
um, one of the things that I, w- I was struck by was when how alone I felt just walking down the street. Because when you're in a place like New York and you're walking down the street, you hear conversations and you can like tap into them. It gives you this bit of connection, right? I didn't speak much French, so I would walk down the street and they would be like just noise around me. And I'm like, I've this is like the thing that makes yeah. me feel so alone. But I'm so grateful for that trip because it taught me you know, the importance of, like, spending time by yourself and writing and doing things just for you. And it showed me that a difficult situation can actually turn into, like, a very beautiful thing. Have you gone back and read your journal I from have, that time? I have, and it was wild because I, like, <laughs> the first three days are, like, tear-stained. And I'm like, I, like, what am I doing? This was such a mistake. I'm going to book a flight home and, like, blah. And then, like, the last day... I'm, like, sitting on the steps of the soccer court, and I remember writing, and it had started to rain. And I was like, I'm so happy I did this. This was the best thing in the entire world. And, like, it was just, like, the shift was so profound. And it, it I was really proud of myself that I had put myself through that, like, emotional boot camp. Yeah. And I came out really great on the other side. And I have such fond memories of that trip now. Even the nasty parts, yeah. I look back on fondly. And when did the pieces start coming together for your book? So the book was actually something I was approached to do. Um, it is a um, a little like I like those little books that you see on the checkout line. It's called Simple Acts of Love, and it's about I'm basically writing like ways that couples can show their love for one another without saying I love you. Mm. So that was something that I was approached to do by. Um, Adams Media, which is an imprint of Simon and Schuster, and I thought the email was a joke when I got it. I was like, "This is spam! Like, no one's asking me to do a book," and it worked. And I, I think that had I been approached to do it last year, I would have been like, "There's no way," because the irony of like being a perpetually single woman and writing about like ways that couples can say "I love you" is a little crazy, but. It really has kind of opened my eyes to the fact that, like, this, like, thing of love is very universal. Yeah. And, like, the a lot of the tips that I've been writing are actually things that, like, I would do for a friend as of course. well. Yeah. Like, picking up little trinkets and, like, you know, all those types of things. So it's been a really interesting um, thing. And it's actually really gotten, like, lit the fire under my butt to start writing my own book because I have a book of essays in me and I've been, you know, putting them together and workshopping them. I'm actually doing a reading next week where I'm going to workshop one of them. Um, and it it's funny because the book was a my book of essays was something that I was always like, oh, yeah, I'll do that eventually. But now that I'm writing another book, I'm like, oh, I want to do this, like, immediately. Yeah. Um, I needed, like, the first book deal to be able yeah. to be like, oh, no, you could actually do one on your own. Yeah. So I'm excited for Simple Acts of Love to come out so that I could finally, like, take, like, turn the focus inward and, like, actually write the book of essays. My yeah. my due date for Simple Acts of Love is January 2nd. And I said, like, my one of my goals for 2019 is to write as much of my book of essays as I can and then like get kind of started on that. And um, you have so much to write about. I mean I so love much. I love the quote from Nora Ephron, Everything is copy. Yeah. Oh it's yeah. Like the good, the bad, the ugly. And, totally. Um and so I feel like you have so much there was like a real richness to this last year that you've lived Completely. that can go into that. Yeah. Um on the subject of romantic love yeah. Um, there are a couple of things I want to talk about. <laughs> One, I mean, you and I have this in common a little bit. Like, we're both seen as experts in the relationships and dating and sex worlds, mm-hmm. right? And we obviously take, like, you know, our own unique approaches to that. But we are sort of seen in that way. Um and this is a question I get a lot, and I don't often get to ask this of people Ooh. who are in who are in the same boat. But I wonder how it impacts your love life. Oh my god! So people is ask it me this all the time? Yeah, it's yeah. like the number one question I get. Um, it's funny because I have found it to be more of a topic of interest amongst the men that I date, and not like something that would put them off. Right. Um, I have like kind of a canned disclaimer that I give, um, because I do mind my dating life for 
my content, but I do it in a really unique way. And the way I kind of explain it to people is I don't write about men. I write about, like, the things that they do and how I react to it. So I would never be like, oh, like, I went out with this guy, Zach, and, like, he was such a jackass. Or, like, <laughs> and this is exactly what he did. And, like, blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm not Carrie Bradshaw in that way, yeah. right? But what I do is, like, I recently was seeing this guy, and he um, broke up with me and was like, but you have such good stuff going on, and you're amazing, and you're great. <laughs> I wrote a story where I was like, please stop complimenting me when you're breaking up with me because I, if I were as rad as you thought I was, you would still want to date me. Like, I know I'm great. You don't have to tell me that. Just tell me you don't want to date me anymore. So I wasn't writing about him as a person. I was right. writing about this thing that he did that so right. many other men so do. So common. Right. So my thing is, I won't, if I write about you, it won't actually be about you. I will never use your name. I used to use pseudonyms, and now I just don't even name the men. They're yeah. Because they're all like one man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, every man. Every, he's the every man. <laughs> and so I, and I say that to them, and I'm like, you know, Everyone's like, well, should I read your content? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. It's there. Like, if you Google my name, all of my stuff comes <laughs> up. I don't, like, I, there's no hiding from it. Um, th there are parts of my life, and I explain this on dates, too, that I don't, uh, are not for public consumption. Yeah. And I think that people are very surprised to hear that because I do put a lot of myself out there. But I got a DM from a reader recently who was like, how will we know when you're in a relationship? Are you going to still write? And I'm like, I've been in many relationships the entire time that you've been seeing me. Like, I've dated men for a few months here and there. Like, um, we were talking before we started recording. There's a guy who I dated on and off for, like, two years that no one really knew about because yeah. I want my relationships to kind of flourish in private. So I don't write about relationships that I'm in. I write about relationships that I'm out of. Yeah. Um, which I think is like an important thing. And that's just kind of how I have always wanted to approach this. So I also say that it, it's a good thing because um, if a man has a problem with my job, then he's not someone I want exactly. to date. Exactly. It's a, such a great filter. So it's an amazing filter yeah. because I'm just kind of like, oh, you don't like that I write about, you know. Right. I wrote about <laughs> anal sex for Playboy last right. week. Like, do you have a problem with that? Oh, cool. Then we don't have to date one another. Right. I think accounting is boring anyway. <laughs> right. So, like, it's, it, I, 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 I sometimes, like, you know, when I've had a bad date or something, I'm like, oh, is my job keeping me single? And I'm like, no, your job is just making your bullshit meter fall. Like, right. it, you don't put up with anything, and that's right. amazing. It also, you do become more self-aware. Mm -hmm. And we were also talking about this earlier, how, you know, we both were privy to so much information, and um, it doesn't necessarily mean that we always <laughs> act on it, but... Um, but you are more self-aware in, in some ways, I think. Um, another thing that you did, and I think this was in this last year, but you wrote about how you were creating space for someone who doesn't exist yet. Yeah. And um, it's kind of, it's a little bit secret-ish or the secret-ish, whatever that book yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about it. And it reminded me of this uh, this comedy bit by Esther Steinberg, mm. who's a comedian I saw in L.A., about how funny it would be to create space for someone that doesn't exist yet. And she yeah. was describing, like, leaving the closet half open and, like, setting the table for two and all of these things and then actually, like, inviting that person over and being like, like I've been creating space <laughs> for you for five years. Yeah. Um, no, so that's, like, the funny side of it. But I'm really interested in that ritual that you did. Yeah. And can you talk about... Um, can you talk about the impact that it had on yeah, you? Yeah, so it just, I started doing it, I was actually seeing a therapist a few years ago, and um, it started with her, because I, we had been seeing each other for a while, and I was starting to feel good, and my cousin and her then fiancé were like, let's go to a Yankee game, we'll buy the tickets, and I on a whim, I don't even know what made me think this. I was like, get one more just in case, like, I want to bring someone. 
And I wound up not bringing anyone, and I had to eat the cost of the ticket. But it was a really good, like, for whatever reason, it made me feel good. Because it gave me a little bit of hope. I was like, okay, you're not as cynical as you like to think that you are. Um, You do have this hope that someone will come along. And, you know, if you cultivate the energy for someone to be there, which is something that my astrologer friend Colin talks about a lot... If you cultivate that energy, he'll show he'll be there at one point. And then you've already created this part for him. I'm someone who does not believe in like the idea of like soulmates and like this one person is going to complete you. So I need to physically make space for them in order for them to come in because I'm full, right? Yeah. I'm a hundred percent full. I don't need someone to complete me. But I would like someone around. So let me just carve out this little bit of space. So like I will RSVP with a plus one to, like, a party just in case. Or um, I'm actually going to a party tonight that I'm doing that to. And I'm bringing my friend as a plus one instead of this date that I was going to bring. Um, I'll, like, you know, for a wedding, I'll, like, call my friend, uh, call, like, my cousin who is having a wedding. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to RSVP with a plus one. But, like, what's the actual deadline that I have to tell you by just in case? And it really has just kind of... um, made it again it just like is possibilities yeah it gives me a little bit of hope in a small way and i feel like that type of thing compounds so like the little bits of hope that i'm building for myself will eventually turn into this like well of hope that i could draw from when i'm feeling hopeless yeah i mean it's you're putting out into the world that you're open Mm -hmm. and i i used to do the same thing i remember when i first moved to San Francisco, I was going to a lot of shows and I would always buy two An tickets. Ticket. And I always had to pay for two tickets mm-hmm. and went alone. And but it was just like the idea of it, just being open to it. Yeah. Um I love it. It's something that I continue to do and I find like I think I just bought I did just buy tickets to a podcast and I was like, oh, I'll just buy two. And like, if if I need to go by myself, then that's fine. And if I'm going to treat a friend, then that's also fine. But it's just kind of like, yeah, because what you don't know what the future is going to be like. Maybe right. you'll buy the tickets and you'll want to bring someone. I'd rather eat the cost of the ticket than not have a ticket to bring someone. I agree. Right? Yeah. Um, I want to go back a little bit. Sure. So I want to go back maybe to your first experience with either love or heartbreak, like the Mm. first relationship experience that you had that really shaped you. Mm. Can you talk about what lessons you learned from that that have carried you to where you are now? Yeah. um, So I had a really amazing first boyfriend. Um, His name was Nick. He was my high school boyfriend. Um, And... He was a lot of firsts. He I, he was the guy I lost my virginity to in, like, a really lovely way. And that was something that I really wanted for myself was, like, a good first-time um, experience. Um, he was, like, the first guy <laughs> who I, like, thought was cheating. And I looked through his phone and he was texting <laughs> this girl and it was a fight. And then he actually was a year older than me, so he moved away. Um And so that was, like, my first experience with, like, actual heartbreak. And my mom actually had a lot to do with that breakup in a way because um, he went to school and his family lived out where he went to school. And I was in New Jersey still. And my mom was kind of like, "Um, so this relationship's over, right? Like, it's (laughs) kind of stupid that you're staying with him. And I'm like, why? And she's like when are you going to see each other? Like, it's your senior year. Like, go have a good time. Go do your thing. And so I broke up with him, even though I really didn't want to. I was just kind of like, yeah, she's kind of right. Like, you know, and it really showed me. And I think that from then on, I really listened to a lot of people when it came to relationships. Like, I'm the girl who, like, get who crowdsources answers to text messages and who is like, can you believe that he did this and blah, blah, blah. And... It sent me down that path, and it was a bad lesson that I learned that, like, I should kind of, like, listen to other people. And it really has only been recently where I was like, I'm not going to listen to anyone because no one really has to deal with the fallout of my relationship except for me. Um, And when I tell my mom that, the story now, she's like, well, you were stupid. You shouldn't have listened to me. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, no, 
such, such a mom answer. But, like, you know, she's like, well, why would you listen to me if you didn't want to break up with him? And I'm like, I was, like, 17. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. What are you talking about? Why would you say? So it, you know... It showed me that. And then, again, the way that, like, our relationship started and the way that, like, he was my first and, like, all this type of stuff, it really reinforced to me that, like, I, in kind of, like, it doesn't really make sense that these are the two lessons because they're two kind of, like, opposing lessons. But it showed me that, like, I could kind of have a relationship that aligned with what I wanted, which was not really a lesson that I took on until again I feel like that's really the one that I should have held on to and not my mom telling me to dump him (laughs) um but now looking back on it I'm like I was really I stuck to my convictions about like the way I wanted to have sex for the first time and the way I wanted like my first relationship to kind of go and I really had standards and I held out for that and I had a great experience. Like, I was actually out with some high school friends recently, and we were going around the room talking about our first times. Like, everyone had, like, a terrible first-time story, right? And I was like, yeah, like, it was my birthday, (laughs) and, like, we had candles, and it was sweet, and he was nice. That's a dream. Everyone's like, shut up. Who are you? Who has that? That's very rare. It's rare, right? Yeah, very special. And so now I feel like, as an adult, I can look back on that relationship and be like, that's what you should strive for in a relationship now. Like, you had it at 17, and you listened to other people, and you lost it, you know? And, of course, like, I don't think that Nick was the one for me, but I think yeah. that that type of relationship is a kind of relationship that I would want to mimic, like, as an adult. That's so interesting, because yeah. I was... Um... I was on a panel or listening to a panel earlier this week, and one of the questions that was asked of everyone is, "What do you, what do you model your idea of love off of?" Yeah. It sounds like you have a really beautiful model from your first relationship. Yeah, and my th- parents also have an incredible marriage as well, and okay. I tell them all the time, "I'm like, you people ruined me. <laughs> like, you have a good marriage. Like between this and Disney, like I have no shot." So, and, and Nick, I, I mean, know, and the candles, like, and the candles, and <laughs> You know, I my mom reads a lot of romance novels. I'm like, you guys to me up. Like, there's no way that I was gonna turn out normal. Like, you wonder why I'm a sex writer? Look at look in the mirror. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say that's probably one of the reasons why you're so interested in this yeah. subject. Um, what do you think is the hardest lesson that you've learned about love as an adult? I think that it really is that. It's so much about vulnerability. I am not someone who likes to be vulnerable. Like, I hate surprises. I'm, like, I want to plan. I need, like, everything to kind of be, like, set out. Um, I wrote a story for The Cut once that was, like, and I was talking about this, and I was like, I'm not someone who can be, like, glib about when they're going to eat next. Like, I need to know, like, I'm constantly afraid of going hungry. So, like, I can't just be, like, go with the flow and, like, vulnerable and just be like, we'll figure it out. And so much of relationships is vulnerability. Yeah. Um, And I feel like I'm learning as I'm getting older to just kind of, like, take it a day at a time and relinquish everything. And honestly, I think that my layoff and this year has really kind of, like, it was what I the universe was like you're not learning this lesson so we're gonna just like kick you in the gut with it yeah. and they did and I really learned to just like be vulnerable and take it a day at a time and I'm actually excited for the next relationship that I'm in because I feel like I'm so much more well prepared for it now I was going to say like when you say you're not a vulnerable person Mm-mm. I've only known you really for a year and I would describe you that's like one of the first things I would describe that's you so as is being vulnerable yeah. and it's because I know this like window of time um that you have lived yeah. very like openly sure and, in relationships um, though I'm always the one who's kind of like on the third date being like so where do you think this is going <laughs> so that I could start like mentally preparing for it and it's like no like you can't do that you have to just kind of like roll with it and right. I feel like as I'm getting older that's becoming a little bit easier for me that's good you're, yeah. so, you're softening a little bit sure. i think it is hard i think a lot of people have the tendency to try to manage love and um it's the you know you can't manage love in all the ways that you want to manage it right it's not like a consulting project yeah. um let's talk a little bit about self-love yeah which I know is a big area that you focused on in the past year. And even before that, it was something that you wrote a lot about. Um, what is one thing that 
you have learned to love about yourself that maybe you didn't love about yourself? Um, oh, that's a good question. What is one thing I've learned to love about myself? Um, I'm very overdramatic about things. Like, I overdramatize things constantly. I'm like, <laughs> like, every night is a night at the opera with me. My parents will say, they'll be like, you go to, like, DEFCON 5 about everything. Or DEFCON 1. Whatever DEFCON. Um, they're like, you freak out. Or, like, I'll, like, make these, like, great, like, I'll spin these fantasies in my mind about, like, you know, I'll get a call from work and they'll be like, oh, like, we want to talk to you about a project. And I'll be like, they're promoting, like, they're doing X, Y, and Z. And I used to hate that about myself because I would get my expectations so high and then I would be disappointed. I'd be like, why do you do this to yourself? It would happen in relationships, too. I'd meet a guy that I would like and, like, on date two, I'd call my mom and be like, I think this is it. I think that he's the one. I think that this is going to be it. And then, like, of course, two yeah. days later, I'd be like, I hate everything about this guy. I never want to see him again. You're an optimist, too, which plays into that. So, and I think that I've started to reframe it in my mind as optimism, yeah. right? I'm kind of like, okay, and I now I'm learning to manage it in a way that it's like, I can laugh at myself about it. So when, like, I go out with a guy and I'm excited about it, like, I can take a step back and look at myself, like, in the third person and be like, this is really funny that you're doing this, but you have to also be realistic. So I don't think I've lost that, but I think that I've also kind of brought in realism to it, and I think that that's made me a more well-rounded person in that way. Um, I would never want to lose my optimism. I would never want to lose, like, my over-drama. And, like, I think it's something that's fun and funny about me that I spin these, like, wild fantasies <laughs> in my brain. But it's, it's again, it's something I used to really, like, get mad at myself about. Like, why yeah. do you get your own hopes up? Don't do yeah. this. Yeah, and I think that's, sometimes that's the hardest part about heartbreak is dealing with the aftermath and trying to put those dreams to rest when you really don't want to. Like when you're a really imaginative person Mm -hmm. and you're really optimistic, Mm -hmm. there's this whole world that you exist in that the other person has no idea about. (laughs) Right. And then if it ends, then you have to mourn that world. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that can be a really difficult journey to take totally but I totally get what you're saying because I'm the exact same way (laughs) I I, I think it's fun I like it about myself yeah you know what it's a good thing too and it's good that you can see like both sides of it yeah yeah for sure um what does your current self-care routine look like (laughs) <laughs> my current self-care routine um, are you so, still doing the love ritual I'm not at still all doing okay. the love ritual but I do like I do sage and um smudge with Palo Santo every once in a while like I was sick for two weeks uh, I love that you do that and you're a New Yorker because yeah. I, so I'm I live in Venice in LA and it's like yes everyone does that yeah. but it feels unique to New York. Yeah, I mean, I think that, <laughs> Is it like, changing? Or? I think that a lot more people are starting to do it in New York. I think okay. it's still kind of closeted. Okay. I think that wellness is really starting to kind of like take hold in New York in an interesting way. Okay. Um, but we're still cynical. Like okay. we don't have like the shiny optimism of people <laughs> from LA. But I, so I still do that. Like I, I, I go off a lot on like energy and vibes and stuff like that. So if I'm feeling like the energy in a space is crap, then like I'll just like do a Palo Santo because again it might not actually be doing anything but it makes me feel like I'm like cleansing the space um I also have been trying to go to yoga three days a week just because like I don't do it I've kind of gotten over the idea of like workouts and exercise for like weight loss and toning and stuff like that I will always have a little Botticelli belly and I'm okay with that I like carbohydrates too much to like be a rail um but I do it because I feel better after like I feel really centered and happy um I have started what else do I do that's like a self-care ritual I've tried to get into meditation actually Headspace has a walking meditation yeah that I love and yeah. I was like oh they I have could great do, meditations I could do this while I'm walking to this like it's a very New Yorker way to yeah. do meditation like I could multitask my medica- <laughs> my meditation I do that and I actually this is so crazy that I'm saying this but I've started Pumicing my feet, okay. which actually exfoliation, feels super meditative, and yeah. like I'm doing something extra for myself. Yeah, like in a way. Do so you dry brush yet? I see. I've tried to get into dry brush okay. before I was a sex writer. I was a beauty editor, and I tried oh, to get right. into 
dry brushing, but it just feels like I'm being scratched. Hey, <laughs> I don't like it. But I also allow myself. I feel like the number one thing that I allowed to I try to do is I allow myself to be sad when I want to be sad. Um, I've kept the journaling habit a little bit. I don't journal every day, but I journal when I'm feeling upset or when I'm feeling sad or just weird in any way. And I kind of, you know, I feel like if I get too stuck in rituals where I'm like, you have to do this every day, then like I just give up and do nothing. Right. So it's kind of like tap into these things when you need them and right. like know that they're available to you. And I feel like that approach is a form of self-care too, instead of trying to like strong arm myself into it it's just being like here are some things that make you feel good yeah pick one when you need it you know right and that has really been helpful to me you've created a toolbox and then you can pull it out whatever tool you need when you need it i like to think of it as like a nice basket you know what i mean just like like a fruit basket that's better than toolbox (laughs) here's my basket of (laughs) self-care i like it thank you um to me you strike me as someone who's very tuned into energy, mm. and you've talked about energy a lot. And it's like even the name of that blog that you found mm-hmm. and where you found the love ritual. When you look back on this year, how would you describe the energy of this past year? Oh and then this is a two-part question because yeah. I also want to talk about next year. Yeah. So let's start with this past year. Like, I, what words would you describe? I feel like the first—I feel like until I went on that Paris trip— it was just like a black cloud had hung over the entire year. Like I was so, I felt like I was like digging myself out of like a hole, but that had been covered with dirt. Right. So it's like, I wasn't just like in a hole, the hole had been covered and I was trying to just like crawl my way out of it. And I had, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Like I was getting like, I was taught, it was just bad. And I feel like once I came back from Paris, things started to shift. Um, I started to really, like, get motivated again and motivated in areas of my life where I didn't ever realize that I could be motivated in. Like, I was like, okay, you're spending too much money on this apartment. You probably just need a roommate. You don't have to live alone anymore, so just do this. So I feel like the energy over the summer was more, like, it was manic to get, like, self-improvement in a way. Yeah. It was, like, when Dorothy goes into Oz and, like, everyone is kind of, like, surrounding her and, like, putting, like, the bows in her hair and doing all this stuff. Like, I was really just polishing myself up this summer. And then I feel like the, sh- the energy shifted again when I moved to... I recently moved to Brooklyn. Um, In September, I moved in with a roommate. And that's around the time that, like, the book deal came through and all this stuff. And I feel like... My energy has just calmed down so much since all of that. Like, everything that I worked so hard for just really fell into place. The first nine months of this year were really just, like, manic work. Yeah. And, like, work that people didn't really see because, like, you're sitting in front of a computer all day, right, as a writer? But I worked my ass off for the first nine months. I was sending emails and pitches and I was brainstorming and I would keep a notebook at the uh, next to my bed because I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would scribble down ideas for stories because I had to make money to live. Yeah. And now I feel like for the first time, I think in my life actually, wow. calm and just like you have money streams coming in. You got this book. Yeah. Like, so much good stuff. I went on a date with a guy, a couple of dates with this guy recently, and he's just like exhibiting behavior that like a year ago I probably would have been like, oh, he's just like going through a hard time. And now I'm just like, just like figure it out on your own and yeah. then come to me because like I don't, I figured out so much of my own shit this right. year. I don't really want to sort through yours, dude who I've been on three dates with. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, do your thing. And if I factor into this figuring it out, call me. But until then, like, I'm, like, smooth sailing for the first time in my life. And you're not going to come in here and mess it up, okay? So I feel like I'm just very, like, guarded is the wrong word. I just feel like I'm much more selective about things now. Because things have calmed down to the point where I can be, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you were doing so much work like in terms of your career, but you were also doing so much inner work Yeah, that I feel like now you're experiencing the dividends of. Completely. When you think about next year. I'm so excited for next year. What is your intention? Like what, 
how do you want to feel? How do you want next year to feel? I'm excited to combine the work from the beginning of this year and the calmness of the end of this year into mm. like a really great balance for next year. Cause like I have so many ideas for work for next year, right? Like I have such great columns, like there's other stuff coming down the line, the book, like, and I want to work on my second book and there's just so much stuff that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've, I've created space for myself to actually contribute like to actually do those things because we talked about it earlier that I would like make all these plans to do stuff and nothing would ever happen and now I feel like I've done the work where I'm like okay now I know how to actually get these things done like look at this crazy thing that you did over the past 365 (laughs) you literally took like a bowl of crap and you turned it into like a beautiful fruit basket. Yeah. <laughs> to go back to baskets. To go, to go back to baskets. Um, but I was like, so you know how to do this stuff now. Right. So I'm like, I'm so excited for next year. Like, yeah. I think I was in a bookstore the other day and with this lame dude. And I, I turned to him and I was just like, in like six months, you're going to be able to walk into this bookstore and like find my book. And like, yeah. I could cry thinking about That's it. That's amazing. I'm so, it's just like, I'm, I'm so excited for the future yeah. in a way that I don't remember ever being. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to my cousin the other day and I was like, I don't have a husband. I don't have a baby. I don't have like the traditional things that people get stoked about. But I have like such amazing stuff in my life. Yeah, and, this and is you the have first, yourself. And this is the first time I'm actually able to see that. Yeah. So I'm so excited for next year. I'm so excited for you. Thanks. <laughs> and I feel like you've also built so much resilience, and I feel like there's something that happens when you do feel like you've lost everything and you're sort of starting over where yeah. it just makes you much more courageous. Yeah, I posted to Instagram, I think on January 2nd, of this year, I was like, this is the first year that I'm starting from zero. I was like, I'm starting from an empty tank. There's yeah. nothing here. Yeah. And now I feel like I'm coming into 2019 with like so much abundance that yeah. like, it can really only go up from here. Knock on wood. <laughs> knock on wood. We're gonna <laughs> knock on wood. I have a few rapid fire questions yeah, for you. I'd be with them. Okay, first one. What is your breakup vice? Ooh, I, I love a. I, I'm a comfort food person. What comfort food? I like a big bowl of pasta. Yeah. I, I make this tomato sauce with onion and butter, and it's got like five tablespoons of butter in it. I just make myself a big ass bowl of spaghetti and just like dig into it. I'm an emotional <laughs> eater. It's a problem. <laughs> Who isn't though? I really? know. <laughs> um, what about your? We've kind of already talked about this, but your favorite self care ritual right now. I gotta say, I love the pumice. The pumicing, the pumice. It's so weird, but like I love like all the like, pumice stones are gonna like know, sell out on sell Amazon out. now. Like, I'm a big pumice <laughs> person now. I just like a smooth, like pumicing and then like moisturizing my whole body after the shower. Feels amazing. Yeah. I've never done that before. I understand that. Have you ever been to a Korean spa? No, and I cannot believe that I haven't. Because again, okay. I was a beauty editor, and it's blasphemous that I haven't. When next time you come to LA, you okay. have to go to a Korean spa because it's like that, but for your whole body. Oh my god! Please, just making the babyest soft. It's skin transformational, in the world. honestly. Yeah. Um, this one is actually this is a special rapid fire question Ooh. just for you. Oh um, and I'm actually wearing red lipstick today because of you, because you always wear red lipstick. What is your favorite shade of red lipstick? Oh, okay. Uh, this is going to be such an annoying answer because I picked up a tube in Paris, and it's actually in my bag outside of this booth right now. Um, it's like this, I cannot remember. I think the name of it, I can't remember. But it's this, that's what I'm loving right now. But I also really like one that you could actually buy in the States because you can't buy this Parisian color in the States. Mm. I really like Jeffree Star's um, liquid lipstick in Red Rum. It's like a liquid lipstick, so it sticks to your lips. And I tell everyone to do that one if they're like, a little yeah. finicky, finicky about red lipstick. Yeah. Or they just, don't like, know how to wear it like me. It's so seamless. And like, I think that Jeffrey just makes amazing lipsticks or lip. Like, yeah, I love that color. It's a universal red. It looks good on everyone. 
Um, well, thank you for the tip. I just learned today from Maria that I should be putting on the red lipstick with my finger. Yeah, if it's from in a tube, I put it on with my finger. But the Jeffree Star is a liquid lipstick, so you have to use the wand. Uh, but if it's this weird French brand that I have, I know I sound so annoying. I'm like, oh, this French <laughs> lipstick that I got. This French. Pla- okay. We'll find it and we'll add it in. Add it we'll add it into the, into show, the notes. show notes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, my last question to you is. If you had to choose one word to describe your intention for next year, what would it be? I think magic. Mm. I like magic. I, I think that it's just going to be a magical year. And I don't know, like, I, I would say, like, hard work. And I would say, like, all, but I know that I could do that stuff. I just need, like, a little bit of magic with it, too, that, like, yeah. I've created that space for it. So I'm just ready for the magic to come and find me. And I'm ready for your book. I'm so excited. When does it come out? It comes out in June or July, I Okay. Yeah, All right. So, so we'll an keep an eye, eye out. out. Yeah, it's, it's a quick one. I have to finish it first. <laughs> <laughs> when is your deadline? January 2nd. Oh, I'm man. I'm almost done. I have a little bit more to okay. do. I've been writing. I have actually really enjoyed writing this thing on, like, a Saturday in a coffee shop. It's so oh. nice. I feel like... It's been like, I don't mind working on it on a Saturday. It's just been very lovely. Good. Yeah. That's what happens when you're able to integrate what you love into your work. Good stuff, right? Um, Well, I'm so happy for you. I'm almost glad that we didn't get to do this interview a year ago. I know. And I was thinking about that. I was like, I I think that my answers would be so lame if we did this last year because I feel like I'm such a different person than I was this time last year. Yeah, I mean, you've gone through so many transformations, (sighs) and that's the beauty of... That's the beauty of heartbreak that we don't always see, but that's the real silver lining of it. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Yay. Yay. We did it. We did it. Thank you so much to Maria for this wonderful conversation. We're so happy that we got to see her while we were in New York. Be sure to follow her on Instagram at Maria Del Russo. We've got more great episodes of On The Mend coming to you soon, so be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes and tell your friends. You can follow Mend at Let's Mend on Instagram, and you can follow me for more behind-the-scenes updates at Ellen Huerta.